0: Again, Acts Church Leander, it's good to be with you guys today on this Mother's Day. I just want to say a quick prayer before we get started, so I'd invite you guys to pray with me. Heavenly Father, Lord, we're going to dive into your word, Uh, Lord, and as we do, uh, as we reflect on what it means to be born again, what this new life that you offer is, Lord, I pray that you help us see, uh, first and foremost, you and your son more clearly, Lord, that uh, through that lens, we can see ourselves and our families more clearly. Lord, that we can stand firmly on the truth and the grace that you give us in your word. Lord, we say this all in your son's precious name. Amen. Okay, Acts Church Leander, I almost screwed something up. I was about four days from screwing something up. I almost got Mother's Day wrong. Uh, We are about to start a sermon series on the book of Corinthians, and it was set to start this week. But as I was preparing, a voice from the past started to harp on me a little bit. It was a guy I used to church plant with named Pat Williams, and he was emphatic on one point. Do not screw up Mother's Day. He goes, our moms have a hard enough time, as it is, when it's Mother's Day, celebrate them and lean into that fact, because you as a guy will probably forget it most of the other time. And so as I was convicted by that and praying through that, I'm like, no, 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 we want to celebrate, moms. Let's look at some of Scripture through that. We decided to extend our new life series one more week, and we're going to be talking about what it means to be born again. Because being born is something distinctly motherly. All of us have that experience. All of us come into the world through the same way. Right, And while guys have a very small part, let's just be honest, it is a bit part in a much larger uh, commitment moms give to us for us to be born. And scripture talks a lot about what it means to be born again. The, the, the story from Nicodemus is a great example of that. And so we're going to lean into that topic today. What it means to be born again. What that means for ourselves. What that means for our families. What that means for our faith new life. Eh? No? This is AJ's sermon. What happened? I fixed this. There we go. All right, that was AJ's sermon from two weeks ago. I have no idea what that was, but that's okay. I've got the slide I need. All right, so before we start off, I want to back up just a little bit to John chapter three, and actually the entire book of John, understanding why the apostle John added the story of Nicodemus to his gospel. Because one of the things that we often get wrong about the Bible, and certainly about the Gospels, is while they talk about Jesus, they are not meant to be a purely biographical writing of Jesus. They're not just writing down everything Jesus did. Instead, they put the story together, they added certain parts, and they took away certain parts for the early church. And this isn't my opinion, this isn't my idea. John actually says this in his Gospel, So this is the end of his gospel. He says, Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But these are written. My account is written, he says, that you may believe Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. John writes to the early church. And he's the last gospel that's written. So this is a church that's been going for a while. They know the stories of Jesus. They have the letters of Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And he wanted to add something to the conversation. And so he puts these stories together. He says, I've picked out these stories for you. That that you may have life in the name of Jesus. And he's writing to a church that's really struggling with the question of what is our identity in God? What does this mean that we are Christians, that we are literally in Christ, that we're a part of this new family, and they're wrestling with it, and that there's there's cultures in the world, there's philosophies in the world that are starting to spread within Christianity, and so it's this tension. And so John, the apostle, says, I love the church, and I I want the church to know who Christ is, so I'm going to put my book together with certain stories in it to better help Christians 2,000 years ago and in 2023— to understand who their God is and what their God is doing. And so he writes, he puts in the story of Nicodemus. And it's an interesting story because Nicodemus is a Pharisee, it starts off. And and Pharisees had a, to say it was a love-hate relationship with Jesus would be too gracious. They had an aggravated hate relationship with Jesus. They were the religious pastors and priests in power in the day. And a lot of what Jesus was saying was undermining their authority. And what you will find in any generation of religious bodies, when you undermine religious authorities, we as religious authorities don't like that very much, Uh, myself included, right? And Jesus was certainly undermining some of the religious authorities of the day, and yet he also was doing miracles. And, And so the priests were like, okay, this guy has some power, this guy has some real juju, People are being raised back to life from the dead. The sick are being healed. He's preaching with authority. And so as uncomfortable as he made the Pharisees, they knew something was up, and Nicodemus knew something was up. And so he comes to Jesus, but what Scripture tells us is he comes to Jesus at night, by himself, because he doesn't want his other Pharisee brothers to know what he's up to. But but he comes to Jesus, and he's like, okay, we we see you have real power. We see you have real authority. What what does this look like for us? What does this mean for us? And, And Jesus says these words. He says, very truly I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and of spirit. For flesh gives birth to flesh, but the spirit gives birth to spirit. This is where we get the terminology of what it means to be born again. And again, this is an area where we as Christians have to realize the original audience. All right, so this is the early church right, that has practices, just like we have practices, that had things like the Apostles' Creed, that had things like baptism. And so when Jesus tells Nicodemus this, you are an early Christian And you hear these words, very truly, you must be born of water and spirit. What they hear is, oh, he's talking about baptism, right? This is in Matthew 28, where Jesus says, Go, therefore, to all the nations and baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And in Acts chapter 2, where the Spirit comes down upon them, And tongues of fire come upon them. And then they start to proclaim that there is a God who wants everyone to be a part of his family. A God who would sacrifice himself for them. A God who would die for them. And then as people are stirred in Acts chapter 2, they say, what must we do? And Peter says, repent and be baptized every one of you. For this promise is for you and for your children. For all who are far off and for all whom the Lord, your God, will call. Baptism, being born again, is being brought into God's family. And that, that's what we're going to talk about today. That's what we're going to look at today. But, but that does, I think, beg a question. So are we born into God's family? Or are we adopted into God's family? Because there's different types of moms. And we've got a bunch of types of moms in this church. And I love that. We've got biological moms. We've got stepmoms. We've got adopted moms. So which is it? Because they are different. Are we biologically born in? Or are we adopted in as God's kids? And the answer to that is yes. And y'all, this is really good news. This is the best news. Because what we end up seeing in God, what we end up seeing in Christ, what we end up seeing from our Father, is that being born into a family and being adopted into a family has unique gifts and unique blessings, and as God's kids, we get both. Because we are God's kids. That's literally my life verse, 1 John 3.1, so one of the letters the Apostle John wrote, for how great is the love the Father has lavished on us, that we, Acts Church Leander, would be called children of God, and that is what we are. So, So what does that mean? Well, John does a really good job of explaining that, In John chapter 1, when he's describing Christ, he says this, he says, Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Now listen to these three statements, how they become children. It's not children born of natural descent, nor of a human decision, or of a husband's will, but born of God. Look at those three lines because they're very important. So one says... You're not born into the family of God if you're from the right family, right? So God isn't saying if you were born with the right genealogy, if your family tree looks a certain way, if you have a certain skin color or speak a certain language, because that's not how you are born into the family of God. That is good news for everyone in this room because none of us would be from the right family tree, right? So we're not there. But then there's that second one. Born not of a human decision. Whew, Let's talk about that one in a second. Or, or of a husband's will, right? So it's not someone else who chooses if we're in the family of God. But why is it good news? Well, okay, first off, yes, this is important. When we're born, we share the DNA, right? We share the makeup of our parents, and we start to reflect them. And that, that's certainly the story in Genesis chapter 1, Right? where we share the image of God, where he puts that inside of us. Just like us with biological kids, they look like us. And even adopted kids, they act like us, right? They start to model our actions for good or for bad. That's that nature-nurture dynamic, and both are in play, right? That's what it means to be born. And then sin comes in, though, and starts to wreak havoc on our identity with God, right? Sin comes in, and all of a sudden, we don't reflect him so well. And instead of reflecting a selfless God who loves and offers peace and kindness and, and generosity, we get greedy and vain and, and vengeful. And so we need to be born again that we can reestablish that identity in the family. All right? But then again, that, that word, though, it's good news that we're not born of a human decision. Again, that's not my opinion. That is straight from Scripture. Why is this good news? Because my decisions aren't really consistent. Our decisions aren't all that consistent. There are some days where I'm like, yes, my identity is as a child of God and I am sacrificial and I am loving and when my neighbor asks me to do something or when there's an opportunity to be generous, I'm like, I'm all in. And then there are days where my decisions aren't so great. Where I'm like, you know, it's kind of a tight month. Maybe we don't need to be generous this month. Oh, man, that new Netflix show just came out, and I'd rather watch that than answer this phone call. Where where we want our own selfish desires, where that old man from Genesis chapter 3 showed up. I live out of that identity. And so the fact that it's good news, that you weren't born because you chose God. You were born because God chose you. Y'all, that's good news. It's not how hard you can hold on to God that keeps you a part of the family. It's how hard God holds on to you. And I trust his arms way more than I trust my arms. And that is good news. But again, we're not just born. We are adopted. So in Romans chapter 8, For those who are led by the Spirit of God are children of God. The Spirit you receive does not make you slaves, so you live in fear. Rather, the Spirit you receive brought about you your adoption to sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies that our spirit, that we are God's kids. And if we are God's kids, we're his heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ If we indeed share in his suffering in order that we may also share in his glory, we are both born and we are adopted. What does it mean to be adopted? I mean, because different type of parents, different type of moms, right? There is a sacrificial choice that happens when we are adopted when we adopt someone else, right? where someone that isn't from us, that is external, we go out and we choose. And, and we bring them into the family. And we say, no, not of your own works, but I see you and I love you and I want to bring you in. There is sacrificial power in the reality And the good news that we are adopted, that God chose you. That not only you were born, but that he chose you. He says this in uh, Romans chapter 10. It's from Isaiah. Isaiah boldly says, I was found by those who did not seek me. I revealed myself for those who did not ask for me. It's good news that while we were not a part of a family, God's family, in fact, while we were in active rebellion, he chooses us. He invites us to be a part of his family. Both as born children, born again in the spirit to reflect him, to share his DNA, to share the things of him. And to be adopted into his family. This is good news. And this is how kids work, right? Could you imagine for a second? Okay. Uh, I don't know if we still have maternity wards the same way we did when I was born. But could you imagine if maternity wards, child's born... They're all lined up, and then the nurse comes around, right, and says, all right, Josh, here are the eight families for you to choose from. I've picked the top four. All right, the first family, right, uh, one, the doctor, the dad's a doctor, right? So there's, there's, there's going to be some financial security there. Uh, number two, though, has a, has a strong uh, application. They've got a great beach house. So that's going to be great. Uh, I'm really saying you don't want to choose seven or eight. All right, there's some mess there. There's some, that's not how it works. No, our mothers, our fathers bring us in and raise us up. And the good news is we have a heavenly father who is family 1A, who loves and cares and provides. And he allows us both to be born of him and adopted into his family. It's good news that we do not choose God, but he chooses us. But there is a tension, because while we can't choose to be a part of the family, we can choose to walk away from it. And I, I want to lean into this a little bit now, because Mother's Day is a weird day. In fact, any day that you think about family, Mother's Day, Father's Day, holidays, there, there, there's a lot of emotions that can happen at the exact same time, Right? The joys and the memories of food fights that my grandma Pat gave us and maybe the loss of other family members that aren't here anymore or of of broken relationships. Of parents who want to raise their kids up in the faith but maybe there's tension there. I want to lean into that a little bit right now. And we're going to use Luke chapter 15. These are the parable of the loss. If you want to open up your Bibles with me. Uh, Luke is about three-quarters of the way through Scripture. If you're using the Bibles that we have, it's going to start on page 1332. Uh, But the parables of the lost focus both on God and on us, of of how we get brought into God's family. And I I have lived the parables of the lost rather recently, so a couple of true stories just over the last seven days. Okay, This happened in the last seven days of Joshua loses stuff. All right, so the first one happened last sending Sunday. So last week, I was getting ready for church, and I could not find my wallet, and I could not find our other set of keys. And we turned the house upside over Sunday morning, could not find them to the point where Erica literally couldn't come to church last week because I couldn't find my wallet and my keys, right? I lose them constantly. Yesterday, Erica and I were doing errands, and we went to Restore, the Habitat for Humanity place, and we went there, and then we did some other errands, I get home, and I check my pockets, and sure enough, no wallet, right? Had to drive back downtown to Austin, and in a puddle, underneath the van, was my wallet. I lose stuff constantly, to the point where we are having to have conversations, literal conversations in our family of, how do we get GPS attached to your stuff, so when you lose it, We can find it. That's where we are at in our family. This is an honest to God, true story. That is the parable of the lost, right? And so you have these two parables that start off the story. the first one is the parable of the lost sheep. And the whole context is tax collectors and sinners were gathering around Jesus, and the Pharisees, them religious folk, and the teachers of the law muttered, this man, Jesus, welcomes sinners and eats with them. He was upsetting the religious order. Why would you hang out with these broken, messy people, they said. And in response to that, Jesus says, let me tell you a few stories. And the first one is the parable of a shepherd. So it says, suppose one of you has 100 sheep and loses one of them. Doesn't he leave the 99 in open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and comes home. Then he calls his friends and his neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me, for I have found my lost sheep. I tell you, there is more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than the 99 righteous who do not need to repent. story starts off with Jesus saying, Hey, if you had a sheep that got lost, you would go find it, right? And you would celebrate it when it's found. And remember that that story isn't, okay, so the sheep hunted the shepherd, right? No, Isaiah tells us all of us have gone astray like sheep. That's me, that's you, that's our kids, that's our world. We're all really good at getting lost. And Jesus says, I'm like the shepherd who goes, and I will find out, I will find that lost sheep, and I'm going to bring it back, and this is important, He doesn't say, okay, I'm going to find my lost sheep, and now me and my sheep are going to be together by ourselves for the rest of eternity. No, the sheep belongs with the rest of the flock. Y'all belong with the rest of the family of God. I belong with the rest of the family of God. And we would celebrate that. He, He tells a second story. He goes, or suppose a woman has ten silver coins and loses one. Doesn't she light a lamp, sweep the house, and search carefully until she finds it? And when she finds it, she rejoices. She calls her friends and her neighbors together and says, rejoice with me. I have found my lost coin. Okay, that, that's the story of my life just constantly. Almost to the point now where I, I'm less rejoicing when I find something. I'm more just resigned, right? But there, have you guys ever had that? Where there's something you were so convinced you lost, that you had written it off, and all of a sudden you realize, I found it. That joy, that excitement, is what God feels for us, but, but not for an item, but for a family member, but, but for a child. Right, so the first two parables talk about God seeking us, God hunting us down, chasing after us. But the, the third one does change it up a little bit. The third one is the parable of the lost son. And it's the one that helps us remember, oh, we can't choose to be in the family. But we can choose to run away from it. right? Because the son's born into the family. right? And apparently the son's a bit of a punk. He, he's on his high horse a little bit. And so he goes to his dad and he says, there was a man, this is verse 11, who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. This son has... This son is making a statement. This son is going to his dad and saying, hey, I want my inheritance now. What is an inheritance? When do you get an inheritance? When the person dies. The son goes to his dad and says, I would rather it be that you died so I can have your stuff. (laughs) And his dad says, okay. Dad takes his half of the inheritance. Son takes his half of the inheritance and runs off. And then scripture says he squanders it. Blows it off. Right? On women, on wine, on living the wrong kind of Literally, he just parties it up until he has nothing left. And and we've all seen people like that. Sometimes we, as individuals or as families, live like that. Instead of living aligned with the family of God, we're like, no, I'd rather take my stuff and do what I want with it. And as is so often the case, my own decisions lead to my own worst problems. And that's the story of the prodigal son. But what happens, why does he return? Why does he come back? What's the turning point? And this is really important. This is the big thing for all of us who have family or ourselves who are wrestling. What's the point? Well, verse 17 and 18, when he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am starving to death I will set out, I will go to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. Why did he return? Because he remembered his father's character. The son had dug his own pit. And when he was finally ready to stop digging, when he was finally ready to put down the shovel, why did he return? Because he remembers who his dad is. He remembers his dad's character. He's like, even the servants in my dad's house are taken care of. My dad is worth being around. My family is worth being around. There is safety there. There are people who actually care about other people there. And so he turns around and he goes back. Why did he turn back? Because he had built a foundation. There was a foundation in his family that even after his wild living, even after all of his dumb choices, and all of us make dumb choices, he had a place to go back from. And you know, it is good news then that as we build that foundation in ourselves and in our families, it pays forward beyond the moment. Because see, here's what's going to happen. And it's either going to happen to you or it is currently happening to you. Those are the two options. So I'm either predicting the future or you're like, oh, no, Josh, we are in it right now with some of our family members. Every single family in this church, in fact, I think I know everyone here right now, looking around, not sure who's online, but I know most of y'all too. You're here because you care about Christ and you want your families to know Jesus. Right? That, that's why you bring them to church. Because you want to help your children, your families, and not just your kids. You want your brothers, your sisters, your grandmas, your neighbors to have a foundation of Jesus. Right? That's why we're here. That's why you listen listening to me speak. That's why we sing worship. Right? We're trying to build this foundation. But what's going to happen, and I don't know if it's going to be your kids, I don't know if it's going to be your brothers, I don't know if it's going to be your neighbors, but along the way, some people are going to be like, ah, no. They're going to be the prodigal or you're going to be the prodigal. And they're going to say, you know what? I, I would rather just take my ball and do my own thing. And there are consequences to that, right? And, and it can break our heart. It can break us. Of well, I thought I did everything right. right? I, I tried to show them Jesus. I tried to show them the Father's love. Why are they acting this way? and they run. And it can be tempting to despair, right, because we're watching them run from God. But the good news is the foundation that we help our families build, not just as kids, but as adults. That foundation ain't going anywhere. And eventually, there are opportunities for us to put down the shovel. And the good news is that no matter how far someone runs, God's legs are better. I promise you, God's legs are better. They will tire out from running from God before God tires out running after them. That is the good news of the gospel. That is Jesus in a nutshell, right? We are all in rebellion. Jesus shows up. We're running headway, as far away from him as possible. We put him on a cross. We kill him. And he uses that to redeem and to restore the good news. And today for moms, just just hear this. If there are people in your life, whether it's your kids, siblings, extended family, neighbors, whether it's you that are still running sometimes, hear me clearly. The Father is still running after them. And he loves them even more than you do and he knows all the choices they're going to make. And yes, it breaks his heart, but he is waiting in the foundational work that we do as mothers and fathers to instill this faith into our kids, to instill this faith into our lives, to live a life that reflects Jesus. Y'all, that has power. That foundation echoes on, and it will be there when they stop running. And our role as Christians as little ambassadors, as this family, is just to love to the best of our ability. And love doesn't mean enable. Love doesn't mean that, okay, they're making all these choices and so I'm going to protect them necessarily from all of the consequences. Sometimes we can get into that. That's uh, No. Consequences are real. And it's messy. Like I wish I could just tell you this is the exact way to do things. Every family is different. Every circumstance is different. Every ask is different. And yet, trying to have that balance of we still love you, we still care about you, still reflecting Jesus to the best of our ability on the promise and the hope of a father who has already revealed himself in his character and his goodness that he wants our kids and our family members to be more a part of his family than even we do. And God is better at his job as a parent than we are as our job as a parent. And that's good news. That's really good news, right? Because we've got some good parents in this room, but all of us are imperfect, and we have a perfect father who is putting together a perfect family of messy individuals. With messy pastors, messy moms, and messy dads, and saying, I'm still chasing after you. Just like our moms chase after us. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, um, today is a lot. Lord, there's a lot to celebrate. Lord, there is a lot uh, to mourn. Lord, your word tells us that all of us like sheep have gone astray. Lord, and, and we come before you in confession that all of us can be the prodigal son in our lives. Lord, that as your sons and daughters, Lord, oftentimes we don't reflect you, we we, we don't act like your kids. We act like the world. And yet, Lord, your word also says in Isaiah that you would pay for our transgressions. Lord, that you would sacrifice yourself to choose us, to adopt us, and to, for us to be born again, Lord, and so we receive the forgiveness of sins. Well, God, I lift up the moms in this room, Lord, uh, the joy of having kids and the, the challenges of just living in a messy world with messy relationships. Lord God, I lift up the women in this room who long to be mothers, Lord, who at this time have not been given that gift, Lord, that you would be with them, that you would move in them, that you would help them see themselves as your daughters righteous in your eyes, enough in your eyes, beautiful in your eyes. Lord God, and we lift up uh, those in our life, whether it's ourselves, family members, or friends who are in the act of being the prodigal son or daughter. Lord God, we give you thanks that you are a God who is still chasing after them. Mm -hmm. We give you thanks that your legs are better than their legs. Lord, and we pray that uh, in this interim space where they haven't been brought back into the family, Lord, that we would be good representatives, that you would give us your words, your love, Lord, uh, your discernment to know when we're supposed to lean in and and when we're supposed to let the consequences happen. Lord, we give you thanks today. say this all in your son's precious name. Amen. We continue with worship.